These are the guinea geese that live on Andrea's farm. We're on Andrea's farm right now, taking advantage of her private giant swath of land because we cannot go outside. Our brewery does not have a garden. This is Chance in France, a podcast by two gals leaving Los Angeles and New York for rural France. Hosted by Katie Parado and Andrea Torrenti. In this episode, you'll have to forgive us. The sound quality is not the best. We had to record over speakerphone due to the quarantine related to the coronavirus. We describe our lives in the U.S. and what led us to come to France. Okay, that was a solution. Okay, there we go. Okay, good. All right, there's going to be background noise, and we're just going to be okay with it, I think. Yeah, we'll just see how it goes, and we could do another recording, if anything. Yes. Um, also, I think everybody understands that we're, like, all on house arrest with our children. Like, pretty much the whole <laughs> world is at home with their children right now, right? Can we socially distance from our children? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Can that do you, be a thing? <laughs> do, do you like that nobody assumed that you don't want to go home with your children? Like, everyone was like, go home, and you're, and you're closing the schools, and, you know, like, what if you'd rather be with your coworkers? Like, what if you're more confident in your coworkers? <laughs> All right, so this is Katie. This is Andrea. And we're officially doing our second episode of Chance in France via the phone. We got to do it. Everyone's on house arrest, locked down, but not locked up. Not not you anyway. You're out, you're <laughs> out like on the farm. Um, I know. It actually, it's really, I have to say, it's really nice here. Um it's nice and quiet and um, peaceful, even though there's a three-year-old in the mix. But, you know, at least we can walk around because I can't imagine actually being, you know, confined to a small space. So we can actually walk around and that's okay. But, you know, it's still like, you know, there's, there's a child in your ass 24-7, for real 24-7. Yes, for real 24-7. And I'm kind of jealous of your open fields right now. I kind of want to know if we can schedule a time for us to just come and run around. In I was going to offer that. And you, you don't have to come and say, talk to just... us. You can just like wave from your window and we'll just run in your field for a little bit. Totally. We have a forest. You could frolic in the forest if you'd like. I was actually going to offer that to you. Oh, because... that's so sweet. You're more than welcome to come. I'll just stay six feet away from you and your family, and that's it. Okay. Okay. I think I'm going to take you up on that because uh, currently we walk the dog, and mostly we're trapped in the brewery, which 
is kind of bringing me to what I want us to talk about because like, so like the last episode we told basically the very quick and dirty version of how we met. <laughs> That's my child in the background who is not acknowledging my nonverbal cues for her to leave. Um, she liked that you said quick and dirty, I think. <laughs> she's not you she doesn't this, children don't understand yeah, like double entendre. she straight up chuckled after you said it she did she did um so uh what was i gonna say um so I, we gave you guys the the uh quick version of how we met our husbands and how we ended up here but what are we doing now, Katie? Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. What, what do our lives actually look like now? And so this is kind of like, it's kind of funny because I feel like we're going to tell you what our lives actually look like in this moment because of this whole virus thing. But also like, uh, like it's like two differences at once, like how different our lives are now from what they used to be in the States and the Corona version. The Corona version. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Well, because honestly, I feel like my perspective on France has really changed dramatically in the last few days. Like, I, you know, things that I might not have been super jazzed about are, I'm not feeling the same way I did a few days ago because life has really kind of gone upside down. Yeah. Um, no, I agree with that. I agree with that. I mean, initially... Being on the farm um, was a bit lonely, um, but I don't have a choice. Like, we're supposed to be lonely right now, and um, being on the farm has has been so refreshing because I just feel like I can appreciate what it is instead of wishing it was something else. Yes, totally. And uh, so, okay, so... so Tell us what is, we, we keep saying like on the farm, you have these fields, you're in the middle of nowhere. What is your, what, what is your new life situation? You used to live in Brooklyn and now you live where? Okay. So I used to live in Brooklyn when I left Brooklyn to move to France. Um, we moved, I moved to Amboise where Jeremy is from and where you currently live. That's where we met. So, but for the first year that I was in France, um, now I'm on year five, but the first year that I was there, Jeremy, um, was mostly working on a farm that was about an hour from Amboise. So he and I were there together, uh, all the time. We lived in a mobile home on the farm. We weren't in Amboise much at all. And I was at that point learning how to farm. Uh, I was driving the tractor. I was cutting the grass with the tractor and, and using a technique to um, fertilize the soil with the grass. So Jeremy was like teaching me all these farm techniques and things like that. And, um, and I was really enjoying it. I was loving it. So within the first few months that I moved to France, Jeremy purchased three more farms. So he started with one, and then within the first year, there were three more. So um, we were going from farm to farm. Uh, each farm pretty much had a mobile home, and we would just live there. Then the second year um, that I was in France, we got married, and I got pregnant right away. So 
I was driving the tractor and I'm like bouncing up and down and I'm thinking maybe that's not such a good idea for this fetus trying to live. Um, I was literally like bouncing up and down in the tractor. So yes. at that point, um, I decided to spend more time in Amboise and less time at the farms. Uh, fast forward. Since that point, Jeremy has sold all the farms and we just uh, kept one farm, the one that's closest to Amboise. And um, it's about 40 minutes from Amboise, but in a very small village of 500 people. And Jeremy built the log cabin and that's where we currently live. Right. That's the lab cabin where we, <laughs> the Lincoln log cabin where we recorded the, the first episode. I also like that Jeremy, that you guys had and sold more farms than most people ever have. Like you had multiple farms and you like decided to take a cup, take it down a notch to one farm. Yeah. Um, well, because, uh, after I had Gabriel, um, Jeremy had so much work to do on the farms and the farms were not like close to each other. The farthest one is three hours from Amboise. So like when Gabriel was, a couple of months old, Jeremy had to work on the farm. So we hardly saw each other. And it was just Gabriel and I all the time. And it just was not, it just was too much for me. So that's when we made the decision to sell the farms and just keep this one. Um, and I think we kept this one because it's closest to where Jeremy's family is. And it's closest to where all my friends are in Amboise. And also because it has the most property around it. You know, we have two lakes, we have a vineyard, we have a forest and two homes on the property. So that's why we decided to keep this farm, but it is quite different, not only from Brooklyn, but even from Amboise. Like there's literally, I don't have any neighbors. And Amboise is where uh, Jeremy grew up, right? Like, Jeremy's... Yeah, that's his, that's his hood. We should have asked him to come on and talk about Amboise. I guess, I guess I'll say a couple of things about Amboise just to give people some perspective. Amboise is about two hours south of Paris. It's technically a royal city, according to Jeremy. I called it a medieval city, though I guess it's kind of like a like a non-mutually exclusive thing. Not all medieval cities are royal, but all royal cities are probably medieval. So this one is royal. The François Premier, the first François, lived in the castle here in Amboise and was friends with Leonardo da Vinci, whose final home... They, like... Friends? Were they like special friends? Because that's the rumor on the street. <laughs> um, yes, I think. Okay, so <laughs> I love our tangents. So the first time I lived here in France, I lived further down in the south near Toulouse in the city called Cast. We visited Amboise because Matt's sister lives in Tours, which is like 30 minutes south. And we just kind of came to visit her and coming to Amboise to see the castle is just kind of like a day trip. It's something to do. And also I was interested to see Leonardo da Vinci's final home because I studied a lot of art and I was like kind of excited to see that. And we went to the, you know, to the Kilusay, which is the name of his home. And it's like a little museum with all of his inventions. And they've got all these gardens full of, you know, like life-sized 
things that he invented, like drawbridges and like, you know, slingshots and like crazy things. And when you go down into the basement of that house, there is this, and it's not a house, by the way, it's like a, sh- it's like a mini chateau. There's like a tunnel that leads the tunnel, of love. the tunnel of love straight up. Like we, <laughs> we were in the basement with Matt's sister and I see this, like, you know, like this tunnel with like a velvet rope in front of it. And the sign says like, basically don't go in the tunnel in French. And I look at his sister and I go, what is this tunnel? Where does it go? Like, this is odd that they just kind of like have this, like, you know, I don't know, this tunnel to nowhere. And she says, Oh, you don't know. This is the tunnel to the castle. Uh, you know, Leonardo da Vinci and Francois Primier, they were lovers. It's well known. <laughs> and I was like, I, I like was shocked. I was like, are you serious? And she's like, uh, of course, you know, like, like it's not crazy at all. And I kind of was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, you know, like explain this to me. Not because I have a problem with that, but because I studied art history. I don't, I like, like fairly extensively. Like I took several art history classes as a student and never did anyone ever mention that Leonardo da Vinci was anything other than, you know, this genius inventor, but they never made any illusions that he had any kind of uh, romantic relationships with French kings. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't learn that he was banging a French king on the side through their tunnel of love. <laughs> I did not. I did not learn that. And of course, like then she points at there's there's also like that famous painting of him, like of Francois Premier on the de- on his deathbed, like they're like he's you know Leonardo's laying and dying because he was much older than the king, and the king is like on his bedside. And she's like, yes, look at this painting. Of course. Why would he be here? You think they're friends? And I'm like, uh, yes, I guess. And I, in the moment, like, realized how, how how naive I am. I'm like, yes, they're just two male friends. <laughs> they're like Bert and Ernie. Totally. <laughs> yes, they they are uh, a much more uh, Baroque version of Bert and Ernie. Um, Leonardo da Vinci's home is here. Apparently, he had some kind of relationship, whether it was romantic or not, to uh, Francois I. And there's a tunnel that leads from his house to the castle. And both of these things are within walking distance of each other. And both of these things were are within walking distance of my house, which is a brewery. Because Matt and I decided to move here to start a craft beer brewery. And we also live in an apartment that's part of the same building, so mm-hmm. we live in the middle of the, in the middle of town in a brewery. Do you guys have a, a love tunnel that goes somewhere? We I think do. you should explore that. We do. We have a love tunnel that also goes to the castle. Uh, mm-hmm. Just kidding. We do not. Um, <laughs> so, but you know, before. So just to kind of give some perspective, you were talking about how you came from Brooklyn and, you know, now you live kind of out in the middle of nowhere and on this sprawling property with like sheep and lakes and whatnot. And a lot of geese, geese that sound like chihuahuas. Geese? Yeah. 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 We have a whole posse of them. And I don't think that's the appropriate group name for geese, Andrea. Isn't Isn't it a gaggle? Isn't it a gaggle of geese? 
why you know that, I have no idea. Um, but perhaps you're right on that. But they're so goddamn loud. Can you imitate I, a, a, a? Can you imitate one of these gangster geese? Oh my god! <laughs> that was really good. I think. Thank you. you. Are you like a secret hunter? Was that like your your goose like like bird call? <laughs> <laughs> I they they're con it's like a constant thing. So it's like I can imitate them because it's twenty four seven. Oh man, that's like when I lived in L.A. and the we lived in uh, like San Pedro, which is really close to this area called Palos Verdes, which is where like David Beckham lived when he was playing in LA feral uh peacocks oh my god like I'm not kidding you would and you were not allowed to touch these peacocks like in any way and you would walk you would be walking around town like and these peacocks would be like on somebody's roof or something and you know when peacocks scream it sounds like a human child like it's terrifying (laughs) And they would just be wandering around, and you were like... Oh, but they're so pretty, no? They are, but you kind of feel like you're on some kind of weird drug trip. Like, you're like, am I high? Like, there's, like, weird exotic birds, like, like wandering in people's front yards. Like, that's kind of weird. That is weird. That is weird. Um, when I hear these fuckers, I'm just like, damn. Like, it shocks me every time because it's so loud. And it's all day, every day. And I just feel like they're, they're like watchdogs. Like maybe there's another bird in their midst or like, I don't know. But they're just like, oh! But they're not like your geese. Like they're just wild geese that are coming around because of your lakes, right? We don't own them per se, but I call them <laughs> ours because there's two of them. They're, they're always together. And they're on my lake, so they're mine. Oh, wait, so there's two, there's only two of them? Are they geese or are they those crazy swans that you see on the river? Um, so they are, so Jeremy clarified this morning what they actually are. They're guinea geese from Guinea. Okay. And, um, because we have other geese, um, but they're just regular ones that, you know, flew south for the winter. So we have maybe six or seven of the regular geese, and then we have two guinea geese. Oh, I'm going to have to look this up. I don't really know. What do they look like? They look like swans, but they're not. Oh, are they giant, though? Are they, like, really they're big? They're huge. Okay. Yeah. I think these are the ones that we see, like, you remember when you used to live in that apartment in Amboise, like, right on the river, on the Loire. You see these gigantic swan-looking, maybe these are the same things that I'm thinking of. Like, they're so they big. You can see them from a distance. You're like, ooh. Yeah, I think I think they're the same ones. Um, Seventy sheep, oh, yeah. or sixty-nine sheep, sixty-nine, sixty-eight. We've lost a few due to disease, and one of them was just stupid and fell in a hole face first. Oh my god, um, that's so sad. Yeah. I guess. Um, <laughs> I guess. So where I came from, like you came from Brooklyn, I was living in. Actually, right before we moved to France, I lived in North Carolina. I knew that you lived there. So how did that happen? So why did you move from L.A. to North Carolina? Okay. So we lived in L.A. for 
like 12 or 13 years. That's where we moved after Matt and I lived in France the first time. He has, he had worked in aerospace for like that whole time. Like he got a job in aerospace. He, he got a job in aerospace uh, when he finished his master's. Like we came back here for him to finish his master's. And then we were like, where do we want to live? And we kind of, we knew that this company that he had done his internship with would hire him. So we kind of looked at where they had their various subsidiaries in the U S and like where we would like to live. And they had multiple places in Los Angeles. And we were like, yeah, let's do that now while we're young and we don't have children and money is not, you know, we don't have as many responsibilities basically. We went to LA, we lived there for 12 years. I was doing all kinds of stuff. Like I did social work and web design and Matt worked in aerospace the whole time. He traveled a lot and he would travel around the world and bid, you know, on these multi-million dollar contracts to, to like put trash compactors on a fleet of 747s or something like that. Um, wow, Matt the salesman. Yes. Like it was a very serious grown up job, which still kind of, surprises me just because when I met him, you know, he was like this goofy rugby guy. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So tiny, tiny, tiny shorts in tiny, tiny shorts. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so we lived in LA cause there's a ton of aerospace in LA and the long and short of it is that the company he worked for that whole time went through a hierarchical shift and he suddenly was being supervised by people that he wasn't super thrilled about. I was also really tired of the traveling. Like he traveled all the time. By the end of our time in LA, we had both of our kids. They were very young. Um, and we had agreed that if we had children that he would stop traveling because I personally was like, I cannot, I'm just not like wonder mom. I can't, watch children 24 seven like it's intense. I hear that that's why we sold three farms because right. I'm like no I can't <laughs> I, do this I think that's why we get along because we both like know our limits we're both like okay we can be moms but we also are not like June Cleaver like we need some no. help I um, need some alone time every day or else I become psychotic around 7 p.m. I am with you I also have this mm -hmm. kind of like bewitching hour of like I need some yeah. alone time um, yeah. so, so given all of those things, he was traveling all the time. He was working really hard. Uh, we had kids that I wanted us to spend more time with. And also Ellie's just really expensive. Like we, Hell yeah. we had like, a, we had nice things like in retrospect, like we had like a 2000 square foot house and we had new Subarus and, you know, we, we were doing doing pretty good like having both of us grown up as people that didn't really come from a lot of money um but we were like kind of slaves to all of it like he worked all the time mm -hmm. and the only way for me to have a job like every job that I ever had my entire paycheck went to somebody caring for our children so it was kind of like what's the point of this either I pay someone my entire paycheck to watch them and I go off during the day and I do something else or I watch them all day. 
which kind of, I tried that. It kind of made me a little crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Like next, there's no need to. (laughs) Do you see what I mean? Like, it's so expensive that you're kind of like, what makes more sense, you know? So, uh, so we were kind of like, all these things kind of came together at the same time. Like he, he was kind of put in a position where he needed to move on from that company he wasn't going to be able to advance any further because of the hierarchical thing that had kind of come together. And I was tired of LA. I felt like it was really expensive and, you know, this, you know, just stuff that kind of goes on everywhere in the U S like you don't have, even though you have healthcare, like healthcare is still really expensive. Like you have to pay like crazy amounts to own a home, like, and you just become very like beholden to all of that. Yeah, it's not made for, the system is not meant for families because it's, it tends to be very hard for families to, you know, to afford a house and childcare and healthcare and all of those things. Whereas here, I feel like we're very lucky um, on so many levels when it comes to that. Yeah, totally. So moving to North Carolina was kind of a step in that direction. We wanted to start a business. We knew that we couldn't do it in the U.S. because of all of these things. And there's also tons of beer in L.A. So we were like, L.A. doesn't need any more beer. Bring it to France. They need the beer. Well, so what happened was he got headhunted to work in North Carolina. And it was like a limited contract, which doesn't usually happen in the U.S. Usually you get a job and you've got it. But this particular company wanted to do like a three-year contract. And we thought that that would be great. We could move to North Carolina. Like he was going to get paid the same salary that he was getting in LA. Only North Carolina's got like a way lower cost of living. And we thought, okay, we'll save some money. We'll scout out this business. We'll plan everything out and kind of start a brewery in North Carolina when this contract is over. But things went crazy really quick, and that company turned out to be not a good fit at all. And in order to get out of it, like, basically, Matt had to negotiate to end his contract early, and the compromise that they came to was that he would get his severance package, but he would have to retain his non-compete, so he couldn't work in the U.S. for a year. Uh Uh-huh. So that kind of just pushed us even further that like, okay, if we really want to do this, we really can't even do it here. And he couldn't go back and just get another aerospace job with some other company because of the non-compete. So we were like, it felt like the universe was saying, go to France, go Go back to France. France. Yeah. Like your family's there. (laughs) Like his whole family was here. There are all these kind of social systems set up to help people in general so that your livelihood isn't wrapped around your employer. Like you have healthcare that's not attached to your work. Beer is starting to become a thing here, but it isn't on the level that it is in the U S where you just feel like nobody needs any more beer. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, so that's why we ended up coming here to do it. Like we just felt like we couldn't do it in the U S and the U S it felt like the U S was trying to get rid of us a little bit. Like, yeah. They're like, 
Not to mention that that was like right around the time of the most recent election. So mm-hmm. I don't want to get into yeah. that too much, but that definitely like kind of made me feel like it was time to try something else. Yeah. So now we live in a tiny apartment above a brewery in the middle of a, a medieval city or a royal city, excuse me. The royal city. Don't get it twisted, Katie. I know, I know. Jeremy's going to come after me. <laughs> well, you know, um, two weeks after we moved to the farm, we had our shipment of sheep, of 78 sheep. I had never been within, like, inches of a sheep in my life. Uh, I feel like if I saw a sheep on the streets of Brooklyn, I'd probably fucking kick it in the teeth and run. Like, I don't know what I would do. (laughs) So here I am with 78 sheep, and um, the the second day that we had them, they escaped. They escaped their little area. So Jeremy and I had to, like, go on the hunt for them and find them, and bring them back to the farm and I I was like terrified because I didn't know what to do I really you know Jeremy's like make sure you don't you know give eye contact and don't stand in front of them and like all of these rules but we managed to get them back to the property safe and sound Um, but since that point which was October they've escaped maybe 15 20 times and we always got to bring them back and it's always this whole to do because they get nervous. They don't like to be so close to humans. So they get very nervous and that causes them to like run in all different directions. And if one of them runs one way, they all follow. So it becomes really difficult to manage to get them to one area. Um, I feel like I've called or you've texted me like right after one of these debacles all the time. And I'm like, oh, I just had to deal with, you know, getting the sheep back to where they were. And I'm bleeding and I, you know, I cut my leg open and. Yes. Can you, you know, please, can you please uh, <laughs> tell me your secret for how you calm your sheep down? Because I feel like it's special, like your strategy. It's very sweet. It's, you know. It's a technique that helps me stay, stay sane, but it also calms the sheep. So, like, they, right now we have uh, females only. We're waiting to introduce them to the males so that they can mate. Um, but we have all females, and I thought they would enjoy some Beyonce. So I would sing some Beyonce songs. But as a matter of fact, they weren't into Beyonce as much as I thought. What they do enjoy is Backstreet Boys. So like once old in a while, school Backstreet Boys. like old school, like I want it that way. So <laughs> if I'm like feeling nervous, I kind of like belt it out and it totally like they just become fixated on me and they don't move. I just love that your instinct was to sing, was to sing to these sheep. I, I feel like I've been in a lot of stressful situations with our brewery, <laughs> like just I feel like starting a business in a foreign country is like the number one way to test your ability to manage like unexpected situations. And I've not, I've yet to start singing in, you know, like, like the day that all of our brewing equipment arrived on giant trucks (laughs) that didn't fit down the road that our building is on. And a crane had to like put these giant fermenters into this ancient building that was not built to house these things. I feel like I that's such a shit singing. though because that street is so tiny. I know what street you're talking about. And I could just imagine the people, like, did people stop and watch? Yes. Because, you know, because that must have been such a scene. 
Yes, that day, that day was so crazy. Like, I mean, I don't know. This is like a whole episode, the day that, you know, the the various days where the brewery has gotten like a new piece of equipment and everybody was like, what is happening? Um, yeah. So I left behind Los Angeles, a big craft beer scene, friends and family. Matt left behind a career in aerospace. Andrea left behind an also very busy city in New York for very rural, quiet country life with her guinea geese and her sheep. If you like this episode, please rate and review it on iTunes. Better yet, share it with somebody you know. Sponsored by, well, actually we don't have any sponsors yet. If you're interested, please send us an email at chanceinfrance at gmail.com. That's C-H-A-N-C-E-I-N-F-R-A-N-C-E at gmail.com. And we'd like to give a special thanks to Dana Boole for our music and Matt and Jeremy for letting us talk about their lives. <laughs>